Well, hey, good morning, Calvary family. Thanks again for joining us online. We're glad you guys have taken a moment to uh, be with us again on this Sunday morning. We're going to jump into the sermon in a minute. And before I do, I just want to kind of share just a few housekeeping things with you. If you were sitting in front of me, I'd share these with you. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of information and some updates on some things. First thing I'd love to let you know is that this past week we pulled a name of all the people who regularly attend Calvary Church and are all the members of Calvary Church or connected to Calvary Church, and we came up with a big list. And then what we did is we divided the list of those names up among the pastors and elders, and this past week, uh, your pastors and elders, we have prayed for you by name. Every single person who regularly attends Calvary that we know of or is a member or that we know of and have a list of being connected to Calvary Church, we've prayed for you and your family or just you by name personally. And we just want you to know that we are continuing to care for you and pray for you and think of you throughout this season. We're also thinking about ways to help us all connect, right? We, we have to do it in different ways, but still great opportunities to do it. And so what we're going to be rolling out this coming week is uh, some more emphasis on prayer. We want to connect one another through prayer. And so what we're planning on rolling out this week is kind of some virtual times of prayer together, which will be facilitated online by one of our elders or staff members. And so we're going to give you some information. We're either going to start that on Tuesday or Thursday. It'll be about 15, 20 minutes. And so be watching for an email or some updates about that as well. And another email and update we want you to keep your eye open for is on or by Tuesday, we will get back with you and let you know uh, the next deadline, the next target date on which we're going to kind of reassess when we might think of resuming things as normal. Um, so on or by Tuesday. We're going to shoot you another email or be in contact with you to let you know the next target date that we will consider when we're going to try to get back to normal. And as you've probably figured, that's probably going to be a ways away. Uh, but we'll be watching for that information. We encourage you. We don't want to spam you with email, but if we do send you one, we'd love for you to open it up or just be proactive and jump on the website. So just a few things wanted to let you know before we jump into what God has for us. Um, so let's pray, and let's look forward to some ways that he can encourage us this morning. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful once again for the power of your word, and um, <clears throat> we're grateful that in different moments of life and seasons of life, your word speaks to us. And so I trust you, even in this moment as we're gathered in living rooms and houses and apartments throughout uh, the Trumbull area, that you will encourage us, that you will speak to us, that you'll comfort us, and that the Spirit will work in our times and our moments together. Amen. Well, when back in the early 90s, uh, when K mid-90s, Casey and I were newly married, we were out of college, we were in some jobs, and we were living in Greenville, South Carolina. And one of the things we loved to do, man, we had a great community group and friend group through our church there, some newly married folks, and Man, a couple of those families, those guys, they had some, some ski boats, some ski nautiques, some master crafts. And outside of Greenville, there's a couple of lakes. There's Lake Hartwell. Uh, there's Lake Kiwi. And so what we would do, man, if not every weekend, at least two or three weekends out of the month, man, we'd go up to one of these lakes, we'd drag their boats behind them, and we'd just spend a Saturday uh, skiing, kneeboarding, tubing. I wasn't really good at skiing. I mean, I could do it. Wasn't the greatest at kneeboarding, but 
I was a world-class tube expert, right? And so here's what we would do. We were all in our 20s, and when you're in your 20s, you think you're indestructible. When you're in your 20s, you love to impose pain and hardship on all of your friends. And so what we would do is, man, some of us would be driving the boat, others of us would be dragged behind in the tube, and the goal was not to have our buddy have an enjoyable, scenic, peaceful tube ride. The goal was, man, to cause as much chaos and confusion and to do everything possible in our power to have our buddy go like hurling off that tube and flying through the air, landing in some amazing belly flop way on the lake, right? The goal was to try to toss the other person off of the tube. And so in order to do that, there would be when you'd be, be being pulled behind that tube, man, there would be twists, there would be turns, they would try to have you kind of jump over the wake, you'd start heading in one direction, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they'd spin the wheel, and you'd fly, the boat would go in another direction, and if none of that was effective in getting you off the tube, then there was one last resort to try. And the last resort to try to get somebody off the tube was what we affectionately referred to as the circle of doom. I don't know if you've ever been tubing. I don't know if you've ever had your own circle of doom, but here is what the circle of doom is. The circle of doom is when you throttle that ski boat back, and then you start going in one big circle, and you make a circle, and you make a circle, and you make a tight circle. And the tighter the circle and the smaller you go and the more you do it, this huge wake starts to develop, right? This huge swell starts to build and you'd keep going and you'd keep going and you'd keep going. And then all of a sudden what the driver of the boat would do is, man, they would nail that throttle down and they would pull a straight line right through one of those swells of the boat and there would be like this four or five foot swell that they would pull the tube for and if nothing else had worked to get you off that tube, Man, that circle of doom was usually pretty effective. Lots of twists, lots of turns. This week, as you and I have continued to just navigate the ever-constant changing landscape of this coronavirus and the closings and the impact, maybe, maybe this week uh, you felt in some sort of way like you've been kind of being pulled behind a boat. Maybe you felt like what's going on in our culture and our society, you're just out there tubing and you're being pulled behind a boat and there's been some twists <clears throat> and there's been some turns and there's been some wake that you've gone through or you've been going in one direction or you think things have just settled down and all of a sudden there's been a turn that's taking you in a totally different direction or maybe this past week you've thought that you've gone through your own circle of doom and we've just been pulled and slogged through this big swell that's just hard to get through and painful to get to and hurts when you try to get through it. It's kind of been one of those weeks, one of those few weeks, and it's crazy to think how short an amount of time we've been dealing with this and what significant impact it has, but it's been a f one of those couple of weeks where, man, we've been pulled and dragged behind a tube. When I was back in Greenville, South Carolina, and we would do that on the weekends, there was only one thing that would let me uh, have a chance of not going hurtling through space. And the one thing that would let me have a chance of not going hurtling through space is on that big tube, there'd be some handles, and man, you would, you would try to figure out how to hold those handles as tightly as you can and how to press yourself into the tube so that you could just hold on. Well, this morning, the great thing is, like he's done last week and the week before that and the week before that and done for so many times, man, God has given you and given me some truth that we can hold on to 
this morning. Some truth that we can press into, and as we're feeling hurled, as we're feeling pulled, as we're feeling dragged through everything that's going on, we have a chance and an ability and a means to hold on. We're going to see that truth in Psalm 23, a familiar psalm. If you've got a device, if you've got a Bible, flip it open to Psalm 23. And this morning, here's what we're going to think about. <clears throat> we're going to think about four things that we may be feeling or experiencing. We're just going to be honest, four things that you and I may be feeling or experiencing, and for each of those things, something to know. Four things we may be feeling or experiencing, and for each of those things, something to know. <clears throat> and let me front end something for you, right? The, the, the truths, the verses, the text that we're going to look at this morning, these are tools. These are tools for you, and they're tools for me. And the interesting thing about a tool is if you have it, but you don't use it, then that tool doesn't do you any good. A tool that you know about, a tool that you have, but a tool that you don't use, man, that doesn't help you. And so that's the same for us. We're going to look at some truths. We're going to look at some tools. We're going to look at some source of encouragement. But if you and I then just kind of put them down and don't do anything with these things, they're not going to be of help to us. They're not going to be of comfort to us. And so here's the front end. Let me front end this application, this challenge. As we walk through these things today, there's going to be four of them. I would love for you to pick one of them. I'd love for you to pick one of them that kind of resonates with your situation and just grab onto that. And then I'd like you to think of different ways throughout this week that you can keep that truth in front of you and you can be thinking about it. A tool that you can use as we continue to navigate this moment in our culture. So kind of let's move into the text and let's see what hope we have and let's see the truths we have. Let's see the tools we have. Let's see that what we can hold on to. And in this very familiar text, Here's how David begins. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Obviously, David's using this interesting analogy there, right? And he's talking about how God, as he's thinking about God being a shepherd to him. And in this analogy, if he sees God as a shepherd, then kind of the flip side of that is that David sees himself as a sheep. In this analogy, as he's thinking about his life, what he's doing, he's saying, man, God's my shepherd. And in some way, I'm like a, a sheep, and I don't know if you know a whole lot about sheep, but here's some things to know about sheep. No offense if any of you are sheep lovers, but man, sheep aren't always the smartest animals. Sheep, they're cute, they're fluffy, but man, sheep get spooked really, really easily. They get scared easily. They're sometimes a little ignorant sheep they're not always the best at being able to figure things out on their own. There's not a lot they can figure out on their own. The sheep, as they're kind of looking at these hills and looking at these valleys and looking where they find themselves, the sheep aren't really good at knowing the best way to take. The sheep on their own aren't really good at figuring out the best path or the best way to move forward. They're ignorant. They get spooked. They get scared. They don't always make the best decisions. And a lot of times, sheep on their own, by themselves and with themselves, they just don't know the best steps and the next steps and where to go and how to get there. But the good thing for those sheep is they have someone who does. They have, those sheep, someone who cares for them, who knows them, who leads them, who guides them, who directs them, who protects them, who shepherds them. And that person that the sheep have is the shepherd, right? Sheep have a shepherd. 
And that shepherd is always there for them, always active for them. And that shepherd in those flocks, man, that shepherd is always leading that flock into where they need to go next and where they need to be next. And he's directing them. And what David is doing is he's looking at his situation. He's thinking about it. He says, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. And I love the tense of that verb, is. Is. Not was. Not will be. Not maybe. Not I hope. But is. In the moment, David found himself with all of his questions and all of his confusions and like a sheep, not necessarily knowing where to go or the next steps to take or what the path is ahead, what David says is in that moment, he had someone who did. He had God who is his shepherd. And for you and for me, Going into our second Sunday of not being together, this kind of virtual church thing with with closings and questions, this moment, this day, God is our shepherd. Here's kind of the first point and the first thought. When you do not know the next steps, know that God does and he is shepherding you. When you don't know the next steps, Know that God does, and he is shepherding you. In this moment, you may not know the next turn. We we may not know the next curveball. We may not know the next step we should take, right? There's lots of things in this moment we don't know. We, We don't know, some of us, if our job is secure, if this thing keeps going for a few months, are we going to keep getting a paycheck? We don't know that. We don't know if we're going to have a prom. We don't know if we're going to have a college graduation or a high school graduation. We don't know if the stock market's going to come back or get worse or get better. We don't know when we're going to be able to get together again and have some awesome baronet coffee in the lobby, right? We, we don't know how long everything's going to be closed, but you know what? God does. God knows all of that. And in the midst of our unknowns, and the midst of all the things we don't know, God is leading us, and God is guiding us, and God is shepherding us today. And you know what that means for me? And do you know what that means for you? Here's what it means. It means that you don't need to figure everything out yourself. You don't need to figure out all of the next steps in the midst of these unknowns What we need to do is follow our shepherd who knows all the next steps and who knows everything. Knowing that God is his shepherd, how how does that make David feel? What sort of emotions does David feel knowing that God is his shepherd? Well, he tells us that in the very next clause of the first verse. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, David says, I shall not want. Literally, that phrase means, I lack nothing. Now, what David's saying is he's not saying, hey, I've got all the money I need. I've got all the circumstances I need, right? David is not making this broad sweeping statement that anything he might want or might desire he has. What David's doing is he's focusing on a very particular area. And he's kind of drilling down to this area of being cared for. And what he's saying is when I think about whether I'm being cared for because God is my shepherd, when I think about whether someone cares and whether someone's taking care of me, when I think about that, I lack nothing. I shall not want. In the area of care, 
what David's saying is, man, I have everything that I need in terms of being cared for from the reality of knowing that God is my shepherd. He never has to worry about whether somebody cares for him. And he knows that there is nobody who could ever, ever care for him better than God does. Second point for us this morning from that is in moments when you feel like you need someone to care for you. In moments when you feel like you need someone to care for you. Remember that God does care. And he cares more than anyone else does. When you and I, when we need someone to care for us, in that moment of wanting cared for, remember that God does care. And he cares more for you than anyone else does. Over the past, I mean, I don't even know, what, 14 days? There's been this progressive kind of avalanche of more and more places we couldn't go and more and more ways we couldn't connect and more and more isolation. And as a result of the closures of churches and schools and events and coffee shops and restaurants, maybe because of all those closures, you're feeling a little isolated. And amidst all those closures, what's, what's happened, right, and I think a lot of us are starting to really kind of feel it, is we've lost those organic points of connection and points of interaction, right? We've lost the ability to interact and to connect just in the course of a normal day like we're so used to doing for so much of our life. And, and so much care and so much encouragement comes in those moments of everyday interaction and connection. There's so much care that comes when we're just grabbing a meal together. When you have people over for dinner or you go to somebody else's house for dinner, right? There's so much that encouragement that can come from that. There's wisdom, there's care, there's being encouraged when you grab a cup of coffee or you grab some greasy eggs at a diner. And over the past few days and past few weeks, as those things have become impossible to do, maybe some of us are feeling this lack of connection, this lack of, of care. And it's probably particularly challenging for those who cal cal call Calvary home who live alone. I'd imagine for those of you who are on your own and by yourself, man, not being able to continue your regular social interactions is perhaps causing you to feel a little lonely, a little isolated, and maybe today you're just starting to feel a little bit of that sense like, man, I, I just need to know that somebody cares for me and I'm not seeing any people and I just don't feel cared for. Has this whole deal with this COVID and these closures, has it caused you to feel a little lonely? Has it caused you to feel a little alone and in your loneliness and in your sense of being alone, do you just want somebody to care for you? Do you wish someone could just shake your hand and ask you how you're doing and tell you why they appreciate it. If you're feeling that way, then here are the facts that you can cling to today, that God cares for you. And God is caring for you. And no one, no one could care for you any better than he is doing in this moment for you. What, what does it look like for God to care for David? Right, what would that feel like for David? Well, he tells us that as he continues to write this poem. Verse 2. 
So he's thinking about God care. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, in order to kind of understand this, we need to do a little sheepology 101. So here's some things about sheep, right? They're kind of interesting little animals. Man, in order for a sheep to be able to rest, David talks about them lying down in green pastures. In order for a sheep to be able to lie down, man, that sheep has to be absolutely free from fear. In order for a sheep to rest, that sheep has to be free from hunger. If a sheep is scared, if a sheep is hungry, then that sheep isn't going to be able to rest. Another interesting thing about sheep is, man, they get like freaked out by rushing waters, right? If there's a stream, if it's bubbling, if it's gurgling, if it's rushing, like little sheepy man, he don't like that. It freaks him out. A sheep needs some calm waters. And here's what's really interesting. On their own, a sheep can't do anything to arrange the circumstances so that they'll be able to rest. On their own, a sheep can't do anything to avoid the circumstances which will keep them from being able to rest, right? On their own, there's only one person who is able to provide for that sheep the environment and the rest and the situation that they need in order to have peace, and the person who's able to provide that for them is their shepherd. The sheep can't do it on their own. The sheep can't do it without them, without him, the shepherd. And the shepherd enables the sheep to rest by his actions for them, and the shepherd enables the sheep to rest by his presence with them. What what does that have to do with David, right? What does that little interesting trivia about shepherds and sheep have to do with David? What does that have to do with us? Well, well, here's what it has to do. What David's saying is, you know what, there's moments, David says, when he can't rest. There's moments when he says, man, I can't calm myself down. I can't get emotional rest. I can't feel like my needs are met. I don't have peace. I have a lot of fear. And what David's saying is in those moments, he can't calm himself down, right? He can't fix it. And in those moments, what does God do? Well, he tells us, he makes me lie down. In those moments when David is panicked, in those moments when David's freaked out, In those moments when David can't arrange the circumstances in his life to give himself peace, and in those moments when David can't avoid the circumstance in life that take away his peace, what he's saying is that in those moments, God steps in. And God gives to David the peace that David can't give to himself. God arranges the circumstances and makes it so that David can lie down. And then there's really this other interesting line, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. You know what that means? That means that David's soul needed a little bit of restoring. Sometimes you and I, what David seems to be suggesting is that sometimes we can get so worked up and we can get so panicked And we can get so anxious and we can get so freaked out and we turn ourselves upside down. And then we get stuck. That happens to sheep too. 
David's line of restoring my soul is not just his story. He, he's thinking about his time as a shepherd and sheep, and here's what sometimes happens to sheep. The little sheep's a little freaked out, right? He's a little worried about something, and so he says, okay, well, I'm going to try to lie down for a minute. I don't know if I can, and so the sheep tries to lie down, and he kind of starts to, but then something scares him again, so he kind of twists a little bit, and then all of a sudden the sheep feels like he can't get up. Right, the, the, the center of gravity in sheep is a little weird. And so the sheep, I should have had a real life sheep up here today. That would have been like fabulous, but I don't. But here's what happens. The sheep's center of gravity shifts and then his, his feet come off the ground for a moment. He loses his footing for a moment. And when the sheep loses his footing for a moment, it starts to scare him even more. And so then he starts to kind of wave his little legs, right? He starts thrashing his little legs, flailing. And the more he waves his legs and flashes his legs and, and flails them around, man, the more turned over he gets. And then finally what happens to this little sheep is he's laying on his back, scared out of his mind, freaking out because he can't get himself right. And he's just moving his legs like crazy in panic, which is only making it worse. And in that moment, what the shepherd does is the shepherd comes to restore the sheep. The shepherd comes to make the sheep right. The shepherd comes to make the sheep back the way it should be. And what he does is he comes over to that little sheep and he calmly and quietly gets close to him and he slowly starts to turn that little sheep over. And then you know what the shepherd does? He doesn't just let go of them. Because in that moment, with all the anxiety and all the worry and all the effort the sheep has made to try to fix it, the sheep's worn out. He doesn't yet have his strength back. And so in that moment, what the shepherd does is he stands behind or alongside of that sheep, and the shepherd just holds him. And the shepherd holds the sheep while the sheep gets his strength and his legs back. And then when the sheep is ready to stand on his own, then and only then does the shepherd let go of him. Here's the point of all of that. Here's what David's saying. In moments when you lack peace and you cannot rest, God alone provides the peace, rest, and reset that you need. In moments when I lack peace, and cannot rest in moments when you lack peace and cannot rest in moments when we lack peace and cannot rest in those moments god alone provides the peace rest and reset that we need maybe this morning maybe some of our souls need a reset does your soul your heart, your emotions, man, does it need to be <clears throat> restored? Has what's been going on this past week caused some of us to start kicking our legs in a little bit of fear? And the more we start to kick in fear, the more unsettled we become. And the more unsettled we become, the more we start to flail our legs. And the more we flail our legs, we find ourselves upside down in panic and anxiety. Is that how you felt this week? Probably, in different degrees. And, and the thing for you to hold on to from this is if that's been your story, and if that's your story now, God can give peace to your heart, to your soul, 
and your mind. And if you're flailing your legs and just panicking, God can restore you and reset you. And as he does and when he does, he stands behind you and me, holding us there with us as and until we get our strength back. You know what we can do? That's what God does. That's what God does for us because we can't do it ourselves because our bent is to flail our legs. But, but here's just a few things that are helpful to me to stop flailing my legs and panic and fear with all this coronavirus. And here's some thoughts for you. The first thing is this. Let's stop panicking. If you're out there and you're panicking about this, let, stop panicking. Now, I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm not saying don't be in the know. I'm not saying don't be prepared. I'm not saying don't do what the authorities are telling us to do. I'm not saying don't even necessarily be concerned, but those things are different things than panicking. Don't panic. Second kind of thing to help us stop flailing our legs in fear is, hey, we've, we've got to find a way to stop feeding our fear. I, uh, as I and the elders are trying, the staff and the pastors are trying to figure out, man, what do we do for our church? How do we lead our church in this moment? How do we care for our church in this moment? Uh, part of my trying to be prepared to do that well in a helpful way is literally like, I think, Almost 24-7, I've been watching the news, watching Twitter, every press conference, every update. Man, and, and it's, it's too much, right? It's too much because I need to just be able to take a break and say, okay, whoa, 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 I, I need to know. But this constant feeding of all of it is starting to create fear in me at different moments. And maybe you're like me, and maybe this past week, you've just kept looking, and you kept looking, and the thing that freaks you out is the thing that you're staring more at. We need to find a way to be in the know, to comply with what we're told, to be wise and take wide steps, but at the same time, we don't need to panic, and we need to stop feeding our fear. And instead of feeding our fear, what we need to do is we need to fill our heart and our mind with truth about the Good Shepherd. Instead of feeding our fear, what we need to do is we need to feed and fill our hearts and our minds with truth about the Good Shepherd. So what do we do though, right? Those are great steps, wise steps, but does David give us any guidance about, okay, what to do in those moments though when life is scary and when the valley is dark? When the valley is dark and when life is scary, what do we do in those moments? Because we are going to experience those moments. We're going to experience those moments because David experienced those moments. He writes about it. First part of verse 4. Even though I walk <clears throat> through the valley of the shadow of death. That phrase, shadow of death, the best kind of nuance or the best interpretation really is this idea of darkest valley, a valley of deep darkness. What he's saying is, even though I walk through a dark valley or a valley of deep darkness, what David's doing is, man, he's walking through the shadows, right? The shadows in that deep darkness. And it's an interesting thing about, about shadows, right? Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through the shadows of this deep darkness, right? The only reason there's a shadow is because there's light, 
The only reason there's a shadow is because there's light shining, but there's moments when we walk through valleys where we walk in the shadows because something is blocking the light, but that doesn't mean that the light is still not there. And probably for a lot of us, you've maybe heard the phrase mountaintop experience, right? A mountaintop experience is a moment when everything's going great, when you're close to God, where you feel like life's the way it should be, when you've grown. I think a lot of us would love to just kind of float from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, right? Like have a little helicopter just airlift us from one mountain peak to the next mountain peak to the next mountain peak. But life doesn't work like that. In life, we don't get airlifted from mountain peak to mountain peak to mountain peak where everything is always great. In life, we have moments in mountain peaks when everything is great, but then we have moments when we walk down the mountain and we walk through the valleys. And as we walk through the valleys of shadows and of darkness, is there a way in the moment when we're walking through that to still have courage and still have hope? David did, even though I walk through the valley, again, the way they've interpreted it, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David said, I'm walking through this valley, I'm walking through this hard time, I'm walking through this darkness, but in that moment, I don't fear evil. In that moment, my fear is under control. What is it that allows David in the moment of his valley to not be freaking out? I fear no evil for you are with me. David's again thinking of his experience as a shepherd, and there's all this, this, that shepherd analogy rolled into here, but there'd be moments throughout the year for shepherds when they would walk their sheep from one high plateau to another high plateau, or they'd walk their sheep from a low grazing ground to a high one, in order to make that journey, they'd have to go through a valley. And interestingly, when the sheep and the shepherds went through the valley, when the shepherd walked the sheep through the valley, that was the moment when many times the shepherd was closest to the sheep. And that was the moment when many times it was just the shepherd and just the sheep. When the shepherd would take the sheep through the valley, it was in that moment of walking through the valley throughout all the other experiences of that little flock's life when the shepherd was closest to the sheep walking there with them. And what David knows is that in the dark moments of life that he was walking through, maybe when he was writing this or that he had walked through or that he would walk through, what David knew is that in that deep valley, no matter how dark it was, no matter how black the shadows, he wasn't walking through it alone. He wasn't walking through it alone. And that gave David courage. Fourth point, when the path is scary and the valley is dark, God is right there with you. When the path is scary and the valley is dark, God is right there with you. And this morning, maybe some of you, man, the path is scary. And this morning, for some of us, maybe the valley feels really, really 
dark, and maybe all we can see are the shadows. And we know God's there, but we can't quite see him being there. And for you this morning, maybe this is the truth that you need to hold on to to keep yourself from being flipped off that tube and hurtling through the air. And you need to remind yourself that God is right here with you right now in the midst of the valley that you're walking through and that we're walking through and that all of us are navigating through together. When the path is scary and the valley is dark, God is right there with you. And the great thing is that David doesn't end with the darkness of the valley. The great thing is what David does in this story is he says, man, there's something better on the other side of that valley. There is truth about the valley and the darkness and the moments that we go through, but there is also truth about what is yet to be experienced on the other side of that valley. And here's what David says and how he ends. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is saying is, look, this valley is dark and this moment is hard and there's sometimes I get freaked out in fear and I sometimes get anxious and I can't help myself. But what David is saying is that does not define the whole story because there's more to the story than that. And what David is saying is that when he comes through that valley and when those shadows lift, there is hope of something that is great that God is doing for him that waits on the other side. Does that mean that your stocks are instantly going to go up? No. Does that mean that you may not get laid off? No. But what that means is this, that this is not the end of our story, that the end of the story is in the presence of God forever and ever and ever where everything will be the way that it was intended to be and you won't want for anything anymore. And I think what David's doing and what he's telling us is in moments when the story's hard, we need to remind ourselves that that hard moment does not define the story because there's more to the story than this. In a minute, I'm going to have the worship team, they're going to get back up here on the screen and they're going to lead us in one last song. And the song is appropriately entitled Shepherd, Shepherd. And the song really is a prayer and it's an affirmation that in moments of walking through fear and in moments of walking through valleys, we don't walk through those things alone, but we have a shepherd who is caring for us, who is directing us, who is guiding us, and who is loving us. So as we listen to this song, I might encourage you to sing along if you want. As you listen to the song, maybe for some of us right now, this is just a prayer that they're praying over us for us to be blessed by and to help us in our faith in this moment. We're grateful that you're here with us. Thanks for spending these moments with us. We'll see you again in your living room, uh, most likely next Sunday. And let me pray before the worship team leads us in this last song. Father, thank you for these truths. You know right now as we've walked in together exactly what all of us are feeling and what all of us are thinking. And I pray that for all of us, Father, your word does not return void, 
that you will take one of these truths and for every single person who's heard this this morning, you will impress one of them deeply into our hearts through the power of the Spirit so that we may have comfort, we may have peace, and we may have gratitude about what a great shepherd you are. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you've not left us alone in the valley of coronavirus, but that you're shepherding and walking with us through this moment now. Amen.